Hey friends! I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. Well, it's September, and I'd hope by this point in the year my 11th self-published novel, Jade Suede, would be available for purchase, but, alas, this is not the case. And not to make excuses, but this has been the pattern for my last two novels, both 2021's Insatiable Rejects, and last year's The Peeper and the Playwright I'd hope to have available to buy in August of 2021, in 2022 respectively, but both titles were not ready until September. And it looks like Jade Suede will be another September baby. That's right, I said baby, because these books I write, edit, and publish annually are a lot like my children. I conceive them, I invest time in each one, making sure that they are as ready for the world as they can be. And when these stories have matured to a point where I feel they can exist on their own to be discovered, bought and enjoyed by loyal, supportive readers everywhere, I push them out of the nest. To quote the great Tom Sharpling, I am not a crap merchant. Jade Suede will be available soon, and I promise it will have been worth the wait. Until then, if you haven't already, I'll encourage you to please explore any or all of the ten novels I've released into the world thus far. Unlike other podcasts, there is no Patreon for People Are the Enemy, and there are no ads. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you'd like to help support myself and this program monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some excellent fiction, please consider buying one or two of my books. All ten of them are currently available in both ebook and paperback formats worldwide via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, which is spelled M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 296 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. I feel like singing along the Mitski, so... Me, me, me! Toss your dirty shoes in my washing machine heart, baby, bang it up inside. Come on! I'm not wearing my usual lipstick. I thought maybe we would kiss tonight. Baby, will you kiss me already and toss your dirty shoes in my washing machine heart? Baby, bang it up inside. Yeah! Oh, I love Mitski. But I gotta turn it down, I got a show to do. Alright, back it off. Gently. Gently, before she starts singing again. Whew. Oh my god, have I been listening to so much Mitski. She's got a new album coming out September 15th. I am excited for it. I've heard the first 
three songs? I should say, I've heard the first three songs she's released from it. I don't know in the sequence where they fall off the top of my head. But I believe the album is titled The Land is Inhospitable and So Are We. And uh, yeah, I'm a big Mitski fan, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. This week, however, in addition to listening to a lot of Mitski, I listen to like every Maria Bamford comedy album. And it's great because there's like seven of them, you know? She's been doing it for a long time, and she's wonderful. And I happened to catch her interview on Mark Maron's podcast because she's promoting a new memoir. And uh, I was just like, oh my God, is this woman fantastic or what? Just so honest about the, her life and uh, her emotions and her mental state and, you know, what she's dealt with and what she's dealing with on a consistent basis. And... Uh, and I'm telling you, you if you if you love quirky comedy, if you love because I say quirky, if only because you know the topics she's speaking about aren't uh, necessarily observational humor, not at all. You know, she's a, she's introspective. I should let's call it introspective comedy. If you love introspective comedy, explore Maria Bamford, okay, and explore her her comedy albums because they're all wonderful. They're all completely different. I was thinking to myself, I was thinking like it's. You know, I don't know how she started out. I think she said, you know, she lived in kind of an apartment in downtown L.A. when she first moved out west from, I believe she's from, and correct me if I'm wrong, and forgive me if I'm wrong, because how are you going to correct me? This is a podcast, unless you write to me. But I'm pretty sure she's from the Midwest, like Minnesota, I want to say, you know? And she moved out to California, lived in a, uh, like an, an apartment in L.A., and I, I can't imagine how she rehearsed her act because so much of it is her like emoting and yelling, using different voices. Like if you lived next door to her, you probably heard some strange things. You know what I mean? Now I can I can imagine like her probably in a in a in a better position monetarily in terms of financially. You know she's been at it again for a number of years. She's established. She's probably got like a little, you know. A little room to herself where she can she can rehearse these things. Maybe she uses her husband as an audience. I'm always curious about comedians and how they rehearse their act and how they memorize their act. It's always so impressive to me, you know, especially somebody with like, you know, again, an act where you're you're emoting or yelling or, or you know, diving into different uh, voices and characters. And then, yeah, Maria's act is, you know, it's I use the word hectic. That might be a good way to describe it. But she's so talented and so funny. And this week, didn't listen to a whole lot of music, aside from Mitski. Again, catching up and getting psyched for the new upcoming album. But uh, lots of Maria Bamford. And, and fortunately enough, like I said, there's a lot of Maria Bamford out there recorded to be enjoyed. Just a wonderful, wonderful artist. Oh, what else did I want to talk Oh, it's Labor Day weekend. I don't know, if you're listening to this, if you have Labor Day off... I've got it off. I enjoy having it off. I love a three-day weekend. I've come to appreciate it. I didn't always have a three-day weekend. You know, starting out, obviously, I worked retail jobs. You know, my daughter works a retail job, and her business is open on Labor Day. She won't be there, but you know. So, I, I look, if, you're, if you have to work on Labor Day, I'm sorry. Okay, because I know, especially in retail, it's probably crazy craziness. And like, I don't plan on doing any kind of laboring, and I don't plan on doing any kind of shopping, you know. 
Because I remember how it felt, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it gets hectic. And crazy to use the word hectic again. It's crazy out there. What, what happened this week? Oh, I had to do a sleep study this weekend. Oi, oi, oi. This is something I'd been dreading doing. I'd been putting it off. I shouldn't say I'd been putting it off. I, I, a friend of mine, I, he had a CPAP machine. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, a CPAP machine is like this, this mask that you wear that basically pumps air into your lungs via your nose and mouth and prevents you from dying in the middle of the night via snoring or sleep apnea, which uh, is this condition where you're, you're unconsciously holding your breath while you sleep. And yeah, it's dangerous, man. You could, you could have a stroke. You know what I mean? You could die in your sleep, essentially. It's, it's, it's not a healthy way to live. And I knew my friend had the sleep apnea machine, and he was telling me how great it was. And he made me promise him. He said, Andy, he said, promise me you'll get a sleep study done. Just have the sleep study done. And I said, okay. And again, I, I was not looking forward to it. But then he described, he says, it's not like you have to go somewhere and sleep at a hospital. He said, they, they send you the equipment. You literally just hook it up to yourself. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you return the equipment the next day. And I thought, all right, all right, I'll do it. I mean, on top of this, it wasn't as if this friend was the only one bothering me to get a sleep study. My wife, who sleeps next to me, <laughs> thankfully, uh, it was, uh, you know, was bothered, you know, because I'd wake her up from my snoring in the middle of the night. Or she'd, you know, and she'd tap me and have me roll over, you know, in the middle of the night just so I, so I would snore or make less sound sleeping, the breathing, you know. And of course she worried about me and she wants me to live a long life with her, so... So she encouraged me to do this, and and I did. I I tried. I got a, I got a, a card from the sleep study facility. Uh, in uh, related to my general practitioner in my hospital, and I tried calling them, but it was during COVID times, and I keep leaving messages, and nobody would get back to me. And my wife would say, "Did you try?" Yes, my friend would say, "Have you done it yet?" I'd say, "I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm not getting any answers." Well. This past week, she, she started encouraging me again, and I said, okay, I'll try again. You know, COVID's over. Maybe I can have an easier time getting through to somebody over there. And I did, and they apologized, and they had got my message, and I wasn't like, it must have sounded like I was just making it up, like, oh, yeah, I tried, I tried, you know. No, I was sincerely calling and leaving messages for them with my number and telling them to call me back. I had the card. But this time when I tried and called, I was... Uh, I was able to get a call back finally and they apologized and they said they'd gotten my messages from like a year and a half, two years ago, again, during COVID times. And uh, they said, yeah, the person that was working the sleep study, uh, the sleep, the, <laughs> the person who was running the sleep study program quit. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. And obviously it was during COVID times, et cetera, et cetera. So it was tough to get a replacement and get people coming into the office without a COVID test, with a COVID test, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, I, I, I picked up the equipment on Friday. Friday morning, I went and I got the equipment. I brought it home. It was this little box. They showed me how to do everything there. I shouldn't act like I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and say that, like, I just uh, brought it home and then, you know, had to figure it out myself. Now, they explained everything to me and it came with directions and everything. So, so Friday night, I opened this little kit. It's about, you know, it's about 10 o'clock at night when I usually go to sleep in the 10 o'clock hour. And I opened this kit up. Uh, it sounds like I said I opened this kid up. No, <laughs> I opened this kit up. 
<laughs> a little hard case box with a zipper around it, if you can picture that. About the size of about the size of a uh, like a portable compact disc player. Okay, for those for anyone who remembers those. <laughs> and inside this kit was like this this diode that I, I had to like tape with with uh, medical tape to my chest. And the one thing that the woman who handed me this damn kit said uh, was like, she didn't mention like, you know, if you got a hairy chest, you might want to shave it. Because <laughs> I opened the case, I'm like, first thing on the card, it says, look, uh, you're going to need medical tape. It just said that. It said, look. No, it didn't. <laughs> it said, uh, apply the diode to your chest. You know, right under, you know, right where you're, right, essentially right above, right above your t-shirt line. And uh, use the medical tape. If you've got a hairy chest, you may want to shave it first. Well, F that. I, <laughs> again, this is 10 o'clock at night. And I don't know who they think, I don't know, like, who they think I am. Like, I've got a lot of body hair, okay? I'm sorry. It's just the way I was made, okay? If I take off my shirt, it looks like I have wings on my back. It's gross, okay? All right. <laughs> you get the idea. But I'm like, F this, I don't want to shave my chest. First of all, first of all, it's going to take a lot of time to do that. It's like chopping through a field of freaking corn or some some crap. Anyway, I I take out this this medical tape and I tape this damn diode to my chest. Let me get a drink. Pardon me one second here. I've got a uh, I got another protein shake. You can hear it there. Mmm. Anyway, I tape this damn diode to my chest with like an like an X, if you can picture that. And this little little it's like a little pendant, if you can picture. It looks about the size of a quarter. And that thing's got a wire that runs to what looks like a watch that I wear on my wrist. That I have to wear on my wrist. And then that has a wire that runs off it to like uh, what looks like a cylinder. Like a, like a capped cylinder, if you can picture that. Um, how would I describe it? Uh, almost like a missile, all right? <laughs> so, I mean, you could think of a million things. You get the idea, right? But it's the, the nicest, cleanest way to describe it is it looks like a missile, okay? <laughs> and I wear this on my pinky. So I'm standing there in front of the mirror. I've got this giant white missile on my pinky finger. And it's wired to a watch-like device on my wrist, again, which is wired to my heart or my chest. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I look like I look like a, a cyborg or something, you know. And I hit the button. I, I follow the instructions explicitly because I said I only want to do this once. I don't want to screw this thing up. So I, I I hit the button on the watch device, and it it says uh, testing. And then there's a little, uh, what is it called? Sand timer on the screen of this watch-like device. And then it says, go to sleep now, Z, Z, Z. And I said, oh, all right. So I laid down, slept with the thing. Woke up the next morning. Oh, my God. I just, like, the first thing I had to do was, like, take this damn thing off my, like, off my chest. Oh, my God. It hurt, like, so bad. Like, you never pull chest hairs out. At least, at least I never do. Oh my god, is that a tender area? I pulled this damn thing off like, ah! You know? <laughs> you know? 
And the tape is, like, covered with hairs. <laughs> I thought, like, what if I just put, like, the diode and with the tape attached to it and all the hairs back in the box? <laughs> it's so gross. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I peeled off the tape, obviously, put everything back, drove it back to the hospital. All squared away. What will happen next? Who knows? We'll see. But uh, we need to change up the topic now because I need to get into some, some clips for you. So hit me with the change up music, maestro. Okay, this first clip I want to play for you made me laugh out loud. This is a British father. I assume he's British. The accent sounds British. And he's being filmed by his daughter, who sounds maybe like she's a teenager. And the father is looking at the search... The search... Uh, uh, <laughs> the list of searched items on his eight-year-old son's iPad. Okay, this is fascinating. <laughs> so again, this is... Uh, a father, looks to be probably in his 30s, looking at his 8-year-old son's iPad to check to see what he's been searching recently. And again, it's being filmed over his shoulder by what sounds like a teenage daughter. Check this out. This is a lot of fun. So what are you looking at, Dash? I'm checking out uh, Finley's iPad search history. <laughs> so this is my 8-year-old brother. Lucy dreamed... W2S diss track lyrics. How did, How did Extension die? How did Michael Jackson die? How did Elvis die? David Bowie, Arson, Club Ubisoft, Fortnite, Shadical Face. Oh! Barbecue sauce on titties! Sorry. <laughs> Barbecue sauce on titties. <laughs> so soon, Devon. Barbecue sauce on my titties. Look. <laughs> Did you love that? <laughs> First of all, it's fascinating that an eight-year-old is looking up how celebrities died, and and a little scary, right? This, I think the, the father says extension. I think he means XXX Tentacion, how he died. Elvis Presley, how he died, etc., etc. But then he finds barbecue sauce on titties. <laughs> Eight years old. Boy, oh boy. Okay, I got one more clip I wanted to play for you today before I hand things off to Rachel. And uh, I thought this was quite good. This is the director, Wes Anderson. Uh, I love Wes Anderson, by the way. And I really liked what he had to say here. And if you don't know who Wes Anderson is, uh, if you've seen films like The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life, uh, the Life Aquatic, with Steve Zissou, what were his more recent films? There was a recent one. I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you the name of it. My bad. But he he did direct a, a, an animated film called The Fanta Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was based on a Roald Dahl story, this British author, who um, 
I believe, passed in 1990. And what, what Wes Anderson was asked about was um, Puffin, the publisher of Roald Dahl's books, editing or, or changing words in uh, Roald Dahl's original text for children's books, because a lot of them are were deemed or are deemed offensive. And they were asking Wes Anderson what he thought about um, altering an artist's work after they've passed on. So here's what he had to say. Check this out. I thought this was very good. You know, I'm probably the worst person to ask about this because, you know, uh, if you ask me, um, should, uh, should, um, should Renoir be allowed to touch up one of his pictures and modify it, I would say no. It's, it's done. Somebody bought it. It's in a museum. I don't think even the artist, I don't want even the artist to modify their work. I understand the motivation for it, but, um, but I sort of am in the school where when the piece of work is done and we've, we participate in it, the audience participates in it, we know it. And so I sort of think when it's done, it's done. And certainly no one who's not an author should be modifying somebody's book. He's dead. That's pretty good, right? I, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I understand that like time will change perspective on things in terms of um, what's considered politically correct. And um, But I, I, I don't agree with altering the, the works from the past, works of art from the past. I don't. And, and I understand if it's offensive and if folks consider it offensive, then, you know, then don't read it. Or don't don't teach it to your children, or don't you know hand it out in classrooms if it if it's really going to cause that much of a problem, or if you're worried about children adapting, um, ad adopting words, or insulting phrases or whatever it is, into their life, or even like racist sentiments, um, then don't you know just move on from it, teach them something else. You know, it's uh it's it was a work of the time. And although time, again, may not have been kind to it, as, as it is with a lot of things in, in culture, even, you know, we've witnessed that literally in the last 20 years. We've seen so many things that aren't even that old yet um, are now considered, you know, uh, toxic, you know, or just problematic. But uh, move on from it. Use something else. Do something else. But don't don't alter the past work. You know what I mean? Don't. Because God knows what could be altered next. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, that's about all I have for you today. I'm going to hand things off now to our friend, Rachel from Des Moines. And she is going to give you the chart chat. So, without any further ado, take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thank you to everyone who listened last week. So glad to have such a supportive crew. Tavy, Sherry, Jill, Jeffrey, Mary, and Dennis. For our 70s chart this week, we're in August 26th of 1972. Starting off at number 67 is Garden Party by Rick Nelson and the Stone Canyon Band. That will make it to number 6. Uh, Rick Nelson is the son of TV's Ozzy and Harriet Nelson. And he's also the father of Matthew and Gunnar Nelson, who we discussed back in the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure soundtrack episode. He was a teen idol, went by Ricky, and he had just dozens of hits in the top 40 from 1957 to 62. 
and even when his singles weren't quite making the 40, he was still charting hits through 63, 64. In the mid to late 60s, he was not really appearing on the charts, and so Garden Party, the song was a pretty big comeback. Uh, it was based on a real show that he performed at at Madison Square Garden, along with many greats of er- the early rock and roll era. And in the lyrics, he makes references to the gig, as well as other performers and attendees, as well as the reception that he got. He felt that he was not being well received, but according to Wikipedia, it may be people were booing the police presence at the show or something else that was going on. I remember this one you're hearing on the oldies station back in the day, and I liked it back then. And I, I knew my mom was a big Ricky Nelson fan when he was uh, in his teen idol phase, and but I liked that one where he was as Rick Nelson. Uh, this was his last top 40 hit. Up next at number 59 is America by Yes. That made it to number 46. Uh, This is a cover of the Simon and Garfunkel original from their 1968 album Bookends. And on the Wikipedia page for the song, it talks about the songwriting process, which I really recommend reading up on. Yes had started playing this live on their first tour after Steve Howe joined the band. And according to the book On Track, Yes by Stephen Lamb, there exists a recorded version with Tony Kay on organ but for the version here, Rick Wakeman handles the keyboard duties. The song first appeared on a compilation called The New Age of Atlantic in a 10 minute and 30 second format. However, there was a single edit at 4 minutes and 12 seconds, which appeared on the chart. And the full version would go on to appear on Yes's own compilation Yesterdays from 75, as well as In a Word. And Keys to Ascension contains a live version of the full song. Uh, and you can also find the single edit on some compilations including the yes years box set and i read that steve howe met paul simon in 1992 at a charity concert and asked how he liked the song and it seemed got a favorable response from paul simon i know there's some yes fans like listener john aka graham friday who only like the full 10 minute plus version which is obviously great but the single edit is fun when you really want to sing along and you just want to get to the part with the vocals so i think they both have their value on the uh, stevehoffman.tv boards, I learned that the mix on the Age of Atlantic is considered like the dry mix, um, and then they put more reverb on it for the yesterday's version. And the B-side of the single was Total Mass Retain, which is a section of the song Close to the Edge, and that album would come out in September 13th of 1972. There's other a bunch of other prog on the full Hot 100. Um, at number 89, we have Emerson, Lake, and Palmer with From the Beginning. At number 47, the Moody Blues with what I think is their signature song, Nights in White Satin. And at number 29 is Small Beginnings by the group Flash. I want to say it was founded by Peter Banks, but at least Peter Banks was a member and he was the original guitarist of Yes before Steve Howe. At number 46, we have The City of New Orleans by Arlo Guthrie. That would make it to number 18. And I'm going to give a Your Mileage May Vary warning on this one. For me, when I first heard this, it was on the store music at the job I worked at in college, and it kind of annoyed me, but then, honestly, it really grew on me over the years, and now I enjoy it. Uh, this song was written and originally recorded and released by a singer-songwriter from Chicago called Steve Goodman, and he played the song for Arlo Guthrie, uh, who agreed to hear him out on the condition of Goodman buying him a beer, and it went on to be Arlo Guthrie's only top 40 hit, but he also made the Hot 100 with an edit of his song Alice's Restaurant, uh, his epic set on Thanksgiving Day. 
city of New Orleans. Um, it was inspired by a train ride on the, the titular train, and this is still in service. It's an Amtrak, part of Amtrak. At the time, it was on the Illinois Central Line. At number 39 is This World by The Staple Singers. That may get one place higher to number 38. Um, the Staple Singers started as a gospel folk group um, with Father Roebuck Pops Staples and his children Cleotha, Purvis, and Mavis. And daughter Yvonne joined when Purvis was drafted into the Army. They recorded their first album in 1958 and charted their first single in 1967. And their style kind of changed over the years. Uh, they found a lot of success on the Stax label, start uh, from 68 to 74, where they really developed their sound. Um, this World is the third single off of their album, Be Altitude, Respect Yourself. And it's the follow-up to their first number one pop and R&B hit, I'll Take You There. And that was covered in the 90s by the band General Public. That was the first version that I had heard. Um, Respect Yourself, also on that album. Uh, this world has that same sound that you know from the Staple Singers, but it, to me it still stands out in its own way. Uh, moving on to the 80s, we're in August 29th of 1987. At number 78 is a song called The Point of No Return by Expose that made it to number 5. And I picked this one as an example of the freestyle genre, which was so huge in the mid to late 80s. I was a fan at the time, and I feel like it definitely contributed to my desire for a Casio keyboard to play around with. Exposé was from Miami. Point of No Return was Exposé's first single and it hit the number one on the dance chart in 1985. And then with a new lineup for the group, they re-recorded and re-released it on their first album called Exposure in 1987. Exposé would go on to have a total of eight top ten pop hits, including the number one Seasons Change, which was a ballad. They also had a song on the Free Willy 2 soundtrack. At number 45 is Casanova by Levert. That made it to number five. This was the only pop top 40 hit from the R&B trio Levert, which was composed of brothers Gerald and Sean Levert, sons of Eddie Levert of the OJs, as well as Mark Gordon, a childhood friend. And I read on Mark's website, they actually met through the boys' mothers being friends. And the group had tremendous success on the R&B chart, including five number ones. And Gerald Levert also had a concurrent solo career beginning in 1991. And last fall, I was staying in a hotel, and one of the music channels ran a block of Levert and Gerald Levert solo videos, and they were great. And I really had this feeling of like, oh, I've missed out on something here. Uh, sadly, Gerald and Sean both passed away due to medical reasons at young ages, only 40 and 39 respectively. Uh, Mark Gordon is still with us and still involved in the music biz as a producer. Also on the chart this week is The Whispers with their song Rock Steady. That was at its peak of number five. And I made a reference last week of that made it seem like I had been a fan since then. But I'm sure when I heard this in, you know, 87, I had had no idea who the group was. I just liked the song. So that was, that's what was, it was kind of a bad attempt at a joke, I guess. Um, at number 44, we have Seven Wonders by Fleetwood Mac. That would make it to number 19. That was the second of six singles released off the album Tango in the Night, and that was the fifth and final studio album with the classic lineup of Mick Fleetwood, John and Christine McVie, Lindsey Buckingham, and Stevie Nicks. Seven Wonders features lead vocals by Stevie. Uh, the song was written by Sandy Stewart, 
Although uh, Wikipedia states Stevie earned a songwriting credit after mishearing a line on the demo and singing it as she heard it. Uh, the big hits on this album were Little Lies and Everywhere, which were both written by and with a lead vocal by Christine McVie. And I feel like Everywhere, especially since uh, Christine McVie's passing, I've heard Everywhere a lot more. Um, and then Big Love was also a top five hit on there uh, with all, written and lead vocals by Lindsay Buckingham. I chose this one just because, you know, it didn't do quite as well as some of the others, but also it's a great uh, performance from Stevie Nicks, but it's it's a nice contrast with her 80s solo material because it shows what is gained with having the rest of the Fleetwood Mac band members and just some uh, great harmonies on this one with, with the other vocalists. Well, that's all the time for me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff, as always. This has been episode 296 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel, from Des Moines. We love you. Peace. <laughs>